I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. It was great uh, driving out of my uh, driveway to the road, uh, passing by my field of uh, bilingo cows. Oh, yeah. Who were happily in a cops, I think, of like poplar. Mm. Uh, we're going through rotational grazing now. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I've applied to have my pastures uh, become certified organic. Oh, you have? Yep. So began the process, uh, actually applied last late last year. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in transition. And it's going to be quite an educational journey. How long of a process is that? You know, it depends on what the original state of the pasture mm-hmm. or plot of land is. If you can actually... Um, verify that no chemicals have been mm-hmm. used and good practice has been used, um, that the transition period becomes much shorter. Okay. But it usually takes three years. All right. If, in fact, you're moving from a conventional or non-organic system, which, t- which is tended to use chemicals, mm-hmm. to something that is going to be um, certified organic, mm-hmm. which means that um, your focus is on restoring the land mm-hmm. and producing really great food and so you're using practices that do that. So you're not using really harmful pesticides. You're not using harmful herbicides. Um, you're not um, planting the same thing in the same spot year after year mm-hmm. after year after year and depleting it. So it's going to be a, a very interesting process. And somebody who knows that process really inside out and who's been so instrumental in developing the manual that inspectors use in order to inspect a farm or mm. inspect a process is Jim Riddle. And he is our guest online this morning. But before I just pull him into the call and say hello, uh, a little more background about Jim. Jim uh, is on the call today because there is a new organization formed just late last year called the Organic Farmers Association, which was pulled together to provide a voice of certified organic farmers directly to Washington, D.C. And so Jim comes and, and brings more than 30 years experience to this role. Not only was he instrumental in, in actually founding the International Organic Inspectors Association and actually co-authoring their manual, but he's also been an educator. He's a policy analyst as well and a, a huge advocate and voice in both the regional, state, and national scene. He also is a former chair of the National Organic Standards Board. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. Yeah, good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, Dave. A beautiful day. Oh, absolutely. Now, you and your far- and your wife, uh, Joyce Ford, you also farm. Right, and, and we do have a certified organic operation. We have about five acres of perennial fruits in southeast Minnesota called Blue Fruit Farm. 
So we raise blueberries, black currants, elderberries, aronia berries, honey berries, plums, and a few more things, and then also some native plants. You and I um, became acquainted, I think it was during the time that the Organic Foods Act was being passed in the late right. 80s. Late, late 1980s, correct. Right. And in that time, I know that you were among the leaders who were, were really formulating that act and trying to get it passed in Congress, which it finally did and became the Organic Foods Act of 1990. But an interesting thing happened at that time. Once the law is passed, it then has to be codified. In other words, the rules and regulations have to be developed. How long did that take, Jim? <laughs> well, it took 12 years from the time the law was passed in 1990 until the regulations became final in 2002. Now, why, what's one of the reasons that it took so long? Well, um, it, it took three years just to seat the original National Organic Standards Board that under the law uh, advises the USDA on the regulations. So they lost some time right from the beginning before that board was seated. And then they held hearings all over the country and made recommendations for the standards or for the regulations. But then... Uh, the, those recommendations were largely ignored, and USDA published their first proposed rule in 1997 that would have allowed genetic engineering, irradiation, sewage sludge, antibiotics, all kinds of things that were prohibited under existing organic standards and existing state laws. And so there was a huge public outcry, 275,000 negative comments, uh, set a record uh, to USDA. And so that proposal was eventually withdrawn, and they went back to uh, rewrite it and looked at the NOSB's recommendations and the public comments. And so that took a couple more years before they came out with a reasonable uh, uh, regulation that actually met uh, both farmer and consumer expectations for what organic should mean. So there was some fits and starts uh, just on top of the normal tedious rulemaking process. Jim, the thing that you said, um, and if, you know, many of us lived through, was the fact that the farmers and their associations and their collaborations had actually made a set of recommendations that were not taken into full account and that the USDA actually put out something that was not the recommended set of rules. I, I emphasize that because it's part of the context in which we're living today. Right. Right now, uh, since then, since the 1990s, so many things have occurred. Um, back in the 1990s, 80s, there were many, many nonprofits and different kinds of associations that were concerned about both agriculture and good food. That, though, that number of organizations have, has uh, multiplied by, I don't know, a hundredfold in that time. Lots more people as consumers are interested in their food. Lots more farm associations are looking to become uh, organized and, and are looking at their agricultural practice. And so there are a lot of voices out there. Right, and the environmental community as well. Right, and that and the environmental community, of course, began to coalesce in the late 60s and early 70s. 
mm-hmm. uh, because of the various pollution uh, issues that we were facing there, industrial uh, pollution that was going into the Mississippi and that was being dumped in all kinds of waterways across the world. And so we have this massive growth of lots of organizations that say they are about good food and good agricultural practice. Why do we need another organization now? Yeah, well, um, just a couple of comments on that. I mean, first, one of the takeaways for me from that uh, you know, proposed rule process was the importance of civic engagement. Whether you agree with the current administration that's in power or not, it is so critical to be engaged and um, you know, get your voice in the, uh, in the debate. And because people rose up and rejected that first proposed rule, we actually have a very strong national organic regulation. That, that's one thing, is just the importance of civic engagement. And it's more important now than ever when we you know, are faced with you know, some of the uh, proposed cuts to the organic program that are part of the current administration's um, draft budget that they released last week. But in response to the question about why a new organization directly uh, for organic farmers, well, there are a number of groups who say they speak for organic farmers at the national level, but when you look at their membership, uh, um, it's largely processors. It's, uh, there's no organization that has a direct authentic linkage to the certified organic farmers and ranchers of the country. And many people in the organic community have talked about uh, forming an organic farmers association. Uh, there was an attempt way back around the 19, around 1990 to do so. Uh, but, but now I think the time is right, and we uh, have been working for several years on forming um, this new association and it has a very unique structure in that only certified organic farmers and ranchers uh, will have a vote on electing their own leadership but also on setting their policy priorities and platform Um, there are other types of memberships there's organizational memberships there's supporting memberships but only the certified organic farmers will have the say in both uh, who's the leaders of this group and what policies uh, we advocate. So it's very unique, and I think that voice will be uh, respected and and is needed at the table. It's not to say that the other voices like the Organic Trade Association, the Organic Consumers Association, Cornucopia Institute, they all have important roles, watchdog roles, promoting the industry, various perspectives. But I think the farmers need that voice at the table, and I'm really excited to be a part of this effort. How important is the 2018 Farm Bill to the kind of work that you're doing right now? Well, it's critical. Certainly going to be a major focus uh, in the short term for our policy work. And, uh, you know, things like continuing the organic certification cost share program, expanding uh, the money available for organic research, adequate funding for the national organic program so they can carry out their enforcement responsibilities, collection of good data on the organic sector, and 
something that every country in Europe has but we do not have, which is a program that can provide technical and financial assistance to conventional farmers, beginning farmers who want to convert their operations to organic, but they just don't know where to go, or they're risking um, you know, uh, uh, taking a financial risk because of that three-year transition from switching from conventional practices, which have farm bill support, to organic practices, which uh, largely, because of the diversified crop rotations, you take a hit from your farm bill support. Um, so we need to level the playing field so that a farmer who is looking at that transition process has a safety net, has technical support to help them make a successful transition. We don't have that nationwide, and that's something personally I'd like to see in the next Farm Bill. We're still setting up our you know, policy development procedures, so even though I advocate for that on my own, I don't know that that's going to be a top priority for all of the Certified Organic Farmer members. We'll just have to see as we you know, run things up the flagpole, take their input, and really establish our platform. Jim, you have been uh, walking the halls of, of Washington and various state and county kind of venues for a long, long time. Yeah. I am fairly new, and I, in, in my connection with this is fairly infrequent. But one of the things that really struck home was when I went to Washington, D.C. as part of a lobbying effort with the Pew Charitable Trusts. And that had to do with uh, antibiotics used in livestock to reduce that tremendously because of the superbugs that are being generated from that kind of practice on conventional farms. The thing that struck me as I was walking and being guided around uh, the halls of Congress was that it felt like a high school, like a huge high school at, br at class break. There were thousands of people milling in the halls. <laughs> all the time and on the right. streets, all waiting for their 15 minutes with their elected official. How, I mean, what is the kind of challenge that the Organic Farmers Association is facing given the, the number right. of voices clamoring for attention? Well, right. And yeah, I'm, I'm heading to D.C. in a couple of weeks as part of a national organic coalition uh, fly-in. And, uh, yeah, served a five-year term on the National Organics Board uh, from 2001 through 2006. So spent a lot of time in D.C. Um, and uh, one thing I noticed is, you know, the corporations, big business, they have lobbyists, numerous lobbyists who are there every single day. You know, they're putting pressure not just on members of Congress, but also on the agencies, you know, to get what they want. Um, and they have connections. Many of them were former staffers or former members of Congress, so they know how to play the game. Mm. Uh, but one thing I've seen in the time that I've uh, spent in D.C. is when there's an authentic voice, someone coming, you know, who's truly a farmer, who gets their hands dirty, who handles livestock, who is dependent on uh, a healthy rural economy uh, for their livelihood, that those authentic voices do carry through, mm. that, that people are refreshed uh, to hear that somebody took their time to come you know, from the home district and talk to their member of Congress or talk to their staff people. Even though the lobbyists are there every day, I think the number of them uh, you know, dilutes their message to some extent, but we need to balance that.
Mm-hmm. And the only way to do it, like I said earlier, is with civic engagement and people coming from the grassroots, from the countryside, and you know, making our voices loud and clear anytime we get a chance. There are about 16,000, maybe a bit more, uh, certified organic growers right. in the United States. How has the reception been so far? Well, um, I think very good. I think there's excitement building. And um, one of the things that really drew me to kind of become a part of this was the other steering committee members that I saw stepping forward. I mean, I'm from Minnesota, but we have members from Montana, North Carolina, California, Vermont, Maine, Michigan, Maryland, Illinois, uh, Ohio, all over the country. And people who are experienced in organic policy, in organizing, and we have an incredible uh, staff person, Kate Mendenhall, who is in Iowa, but she used to be executive director of the the Natural and Organic Farmers Association of New York State. And then we have the support sponsorship of the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania. And if you don't know your history, it was uh, the founder of the Rodale Institute, J.I. Rodale, who first coined the phrase organic farming uh, back in the 1940s. So they have deep roots, so it's appropriate on Deep Roots Radio to talk about the relationship with Rodale. And so they're providing the, um, you know, the administrative support, the membership services. They also have relaunched the New Farm magazine as a print publication and um, have uh, New Farm News, which is an electronic newsletter uh, for the OFA, the Organic Farmers Association members, and are setting up things like listserv so that members can connect with each other. We have about 300 members right now. Uh, so there are individual certified organic farms. There are supporting members, but there also are organizational members. So groups like California Certified Organic Farmers, Maine Organic Farmers Gardeners Association, Michigan, the, the Northeast Organic Dairy Producers, the Ohio, Pennsylvania organic groups. And the exciting thing is that when an organization joins, they can pass on a discount to their members in order for those individuals to join OFA. So the individual membership is normally $100 a year. But if your organization is a member and you're a member of that regional group or state group, then you can get into OFA at a discounted rate of $75. And so we're starting to see some of that um, uh, uh, picking up with the organizational members then helping promote OFA. The organizational members have a seat at the table, but end of the day, they don't have a vote. Mm. Uh, but we certainly listen and respect their voices and input in the process. And I just joined this week as a supporting member because... Oh, good. And it sounds like soon you'll qualify as a certified organic farm member. That's, that's, that's the path I'm on, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I thought it was worthwhile to be a supporting member because uh-huh. I'm kept up to date on all of the things that you just mentioned. Um, getting the magazine and getting those newsletters, also having access to your webinars, I think, and a discount to your events. Right, right. And, and this keeps you on that path and understanding what that voice is. And I understand that even supporting members will be uh, tapped and surveyed occasionally yes, right. in order mm-hmm. to help inform the kinds of discussions and decisions that you'll finally make. 
Jim, one of the things that's uh, happening these days, I guess, is that there is pushback on the on people on um, certified organic label. They're wondering, you know, is it strict enough? Is it stringent enough? Yeah. And certainly, the, the certified organic rules. Uh, there is a there is a National Organic Standards Board, and the rules are always being looked at. This is an evolving, dynamic set of standards right. that will continue to improve over time as we learn more about the good things we need to do. <clears throat> I think over time, but there is uh, backlash. I think that that is emerging and sometimes in a really, oh, just a lulling kind of way because there are some, at least a couple of organizations that are looking to develop a sustainable label mm. for their farmers. And these are organizations that are just massive. They are yeah. very well healed. And I, I bring that up only because the certified organic label actually means something right right and i mean the the law itself sets the framework for the rules but then that the regulation uh has been established through that very robust and transparent uh public process and uh right now there uh was some language that took, oh, well over 10 years to develop based on public input, recommendations of the National Organic Standards Board to tighten and clarify the, org the animal welfare requirements, mm -hmm. like amount of space that a chicken needs to have and the amount of outdoor uh, space um, that the chicken would need to have in order to be certified organic, to make it more enforceable and more humane and to provide better wel welfare for the birds. So right now, that has gone through all of the rulemaking and was set to take effect um, but the current administration has put a hold on it and opened up another round of public comments. Um, so people have until June 9th to weigh in to USDA on whether that uh, you know, amendment to the existing regulation should go into effect or whether it should be dropped and go away. So every sector of the organic community, except some large, basically conventional poultry operations. But all the other groups I talked about earlier, organic consumers, organic trade, cornucopia, um, are all uh, urging their members, and we are urging our members, to weigh in at regulations.gov and um, uh, in support of this animal welfare uh, rule going into effect. So it's just issues like that that are always in play, but the intent is to continually improve the regulation, make it clearer, more enforceable, uh, to better protect animal health, to better protect the environment, and to provide good, clean, safe food for humans and all kinds of other products. It's not just food organic as right. well. Uh, so um, that's just one example that's in play right now as we speak. What are some of your near-term goals, Jim, for the Organic Farmers Association? Yeah, well, um, we currently are a steering committee. So we are still doing the behind-the-scenes work of finalizing our bylaws, finalizing our policy formation procedures. And 
one of the next steps we'll be doing this fall, we haven't set a date yet, but we will be having an election amongst our members um, to elect our policy committee so that we can kind of jumpstart the process and really get to work on our platform, on our policy priorities to have some impact on the next farm bill. And then uh, we will actually be electing our official governing council um, uh, next February. So those are a couple of our short-term um, uh, projects is just getting our own uh, you know, house in order, so to speak. Um, and so it's a lot of, you know, conference calls uh, between the steering committee and the executive committee and working with Rodale on budgets and all those kind of, you know, really boring things that steering committees do uh, to do the homework so that we have a really sustainable and vibrant um, organization that truly meets its goals of representing certified organic farmers and ranchers. But, you know, we're, I don't know, um, uh, copies of the New Farm magazine went out to all 1,600 certified organic farmers in the country. Uh, so that's been a big accomplishment of Rodale just recently. It's beautiful. It's informative. It has great information in it and the opportunity to join the OFA. So one thing I say, if people want to be a part of this, if they want to have a say in what those policies are or who's on the policy committee or then eventually on the governing council, they need to join, and their organizations need to join. They need to be a part of shaping our voice because without grassroots representation, we don't have the authenticity that we need to kind of break through that you know, buzz in Washington, D.C., and, um, you know, have that seat at the table. I'm a food lover, and I really yeah. care about my food. Why should I care about this new organization? Well, uh, you, you mentioned these other labels, natural, sustainable, that really have no meaning. Organic does have a meaning. You can trust uh, when you see the USDA organic label, um, when someone is certified organic, um, you know that those foods were grown following a set of rigorous, transparent standards, and that that operation, both the farm and the processor, uh, had to file a lot of paperwork, keep a lot of records, and get inspected. Um, so uh, organic has confidence in the marketplace and is growing way more the demand for organic products, new, new survey out, continuing to grow much faster, much, much faster than any other part of the food sector. But for people who seek out organic foods, supporting the farmers who are growing those foods is a logical uh, next step. And so that's why we have a supporting member category for people to essentially donate, but then they still get the New Farm magazine. They still get the action alerts. They stay informed and can do more than just um, contribute their $100 a mm -hmm. year they can actually also contact members of Congress or uh, have input in the policy agenda. So I think it's a really good way for consumers, other people who support organic farming, uh, to really contribute and, and be a part of the process. Um, just another thing I wanted to mention, we 
did. I mentioned I'm going uh, to D.C. as part of National Organic Coalition. And the coalition is a number of different groups, um, like Center for Food Safety or Union of Concerned Scientists, as well as MOSES here in the Midwest, that's farmer groups and consumer groups and environmental groups in a coalition. And they have written a letter to uh, USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue just stressing the importance of investing in organic and protecting domestic organic producers from, you know, uh, possibly unfair imports that are coming into this country and really um, uh, taking a stand to support organic agriculture within USDA. And our organization, Organic Farmers Association, has signed on to that letter, and we're encouraging our members to add their names, especially if they're certified organic farms. Uh, so that's just another thing that we've done, and uh, we're setting up a listserv so that the members of OFA can be in direct communication with each other and share discussion so we're all about empowerment from the grassroots level all the way to uh, D.C. Well, Jim, I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning. Again, Jim, if people want to find out more, is there a website they can go to? Yeah, well, probably the easiest thing is just to do a search for Organic Farmers Association. All right. The website itself is rodaleinstitute.org slash OFA membership. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.